0: It's good to see you all this morning. Uh ask an interest in your prayers. We're going to continue with our uh, series um, discussing our, our foundational doctrines. Um, we know that we've been looking at it um, in a familiar organizational pattern. You all have heard the term uh, tulip. It's just a way of organizing information to make it easier to hang on to. Um, so we've done three messages thus far. The first, I'm looking at man's natural state. Being totally depraved, we were corrupt. Thanks to Adam in the garden where he fell, every single one of us from conception and on are conceived as sinners. We sin because we are sinners. And our desires, our heart, our mind, our bodies are all corrupt. And that is why we die. The wages of sin is death. And we looked at the choice that God made before he formed the world to select a people in spite of that condition that he knew that they would be in, to select them for himself, that he was going to give them to his son. We call this unconditional election because it wasn't because they were worthy or good or do anything right, but in spite of that, by his own sovereign choice, he was the one who had the right to make that call, and he did, and he gave those people to his son. And then last week we looked at what his son did, our Lord Jesus Christ. He came and he actually purchased those people—they were still unworthy. They were still vile. We, um, but he came and paid for us, and the price was his blood. He redeemed us. He bought us to God. Um, redeemed us from our sins. He reconciled us to God. Right? That is what Christ did. That was a work that was accomplished on the cross, two thousand some odd years ago. So that brings us forward to a question of set of. What has Jesus done for you? Which is what he accomplished on the cross. He redeemed you. He reconciled you. To here and now. What has Jesus done in you? Okay? We know about the experience of being dead, trespasses and sins, because at one point in all of our lives, we've been there. When all that we desired was the things of this world, our corruption was complete. We wanted things that were wrong, and we had nothing to do with God. He was contrary to all that we wanted. And that's where we start, I and mean, we can recognize that. Anyone who's been born again can recognize that before versus the difference. And so what we're going to be looking at today is it's called irresistible grace. Um, and this is a concept that's, in one sense, completely foreign to us in another sense, very familiar. Um, There are a lot of different ways of teaching this in the Bible. A lot of different words used to describe the same thing. And part of that is because of our limitations. We can't fully understand what God has done in us but he gives us a bunch of different word pictures and ways to describe it so that we can kind of start to build a picture. And I think when we're in heaven, we can understand fully that glass that we see through darkly now is removed and we can see clearly, wow, the magnitude of the new birth or regeneration, all the different ways that we can describe it um, will become even more real. So that's a a long introduction. I want to start with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is one of the ways that we are going to try to understand what the new birth is about, what regeneration is about, and it's in terms of creation. Go I mean put this in your mind. God has created right in the beginning, he's created the heavens and the earth. The earth has no form. It's void. It's it's a it's a uninhabited wasteland. It's ruinous. That's what those words mean. And it's dark. Ever been in a cave and they turn out the light and it's like dark? Like not a little glow from your watch? Dark. Light hasn't been created yet. Okay? Dark. And you see the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep and the waters, right? And God says, Let there be light. Now, as the Creator, as the Sovereign God, He has the right to say, Let there be light did anybody have to uh, sign a consent form for God to do that? No? Y'all ever had kids in sports? Right. You want to take your picture? Hey, we'd like you to sign this consent form so we can post your pictures up you know, wherever we want for advertising. Right? You sign the form and say, yeah, I give that consent. Who signed God's consent form? Nobody won. Nobody was there. Did he ask the darkness? No! I mean, the darkness. There was darkness. But the darkness didn't get a vote. Right? God is the Creator said, let there be light, and immediately, there was light. Okay? Go to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second letter to the Corinthian church, and in chapter 4. Start reading in verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ... Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake for God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness what's he talking about what we just read Genesis 1 through 3 God commanded did he suggest did he invite did he give an opportunity he commanded the light to shine out of darkness That same God, for God, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Before God shines the light of knowledge in our heart, you know what our heart is? Dark. Void. Without form. And it takes the Spirit of God moving upon us and saying, Let there be light, and there's light immediately, instantly. This is one of the first descriptions or ways that you can be introduced to the concept of what God has done in you as His child. One that He has chosen before the foundation of the world, one that His Son has died for. Now in your life, He's letting you know. What Christ has done, and the way He does it is He shines light. That's one illustration: shining light. And just like um, a little bit later in Genesis, He's going to take some dirt, right? He'll take some dirt together, some clay, and He's going to do what? Make a new creature, make a man, right? Breathe life into it. Did He ask the dirt for permission? Did the dirt get a vote? Did Adam get a vote in being created? No, He was created. So go to the next chapter in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, become all behold, all things are become new. This is another concept. So you've got a creation where he speaks light, and there's now light in your your heart. There's knowledge that you didn't have before, there's an illumination. He, he he enlightens your mind and heart, but He's also created something new. You are a new creature. Again, in Genesis, was there any consent given by the darkness? Any consent given by the dirt? No. There was light, because the sovereign God said so. And when He decides to create a new creature, it is created. All right? So what we mean by irresistible. There's no one fighting against God to say no. You can't do that. Or no, you need my permission. All right? Go over to Romans chapter 8. We've been looking at Romans 8. We'll start looking at 28 several times in these messages. It's kind of a, a flow. It's a good summary of what God does for his children. Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called... According to His purpose. Hang on to that word called. Them who are called according to His purpose. Whose purpose? God's purpose. Who's going to love God? Those that are called by Him. Why are they called by Him? According to His purpose. His will. His desire. He calls them and they love Him. For whom He did foreknow. He knew them before they existed. That's great. What also? He also did predestinate. He predetermined. He laid out in advance that those whom he foreknow are going to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're going to be made to look like his Son. His Son is holy, 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 holy. That's our God. That's his Son. Is that where we started from? No. We're totally corrupt. Depraved, full of sin, estranged from God, and yet he's determined in advance that's where you're going to end up, conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren... Moreover, whom he did predestinate, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Them he also called. Got the same group of people that he foreknow, that he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. He also calls them, right? Those that he calls are going to love him. All right? Whom he calls, them he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, we can... I just want this expression of called, all right? He's called. Who's doing the calling? God! God is the actor. Before the call, where were you? Right, Darkness, without form, void. Right, These are all the illustrations of the word picture to describe what our condition was before God intercedes into your life. And so you've got this calling. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 15. Paul is relating his experience of how he had been this, this uber-zealous religious person for God, except for he wasn't serving God at all. Right? He was actually persecuting the church. Right? He was, he was the one who would go into the churches or the homes, and he would drag folks out, take them to jail, and then say, yeah, I saw them teaching about that Jesus fellow and testify to it so that they could be put to death. All right? That's, that's Paul. He went by Saul at that time. Not a good thing, right? He profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. So that's the old. Verse 15. But when it pleased God. But when it pleased Paul? No. When it pleased God... Who separated me from my father, mother's womb? All right? So we've got another picture here. We've got giving light. We've got creation. Here we've got a birth. All right, What causes a mama to go into labor? When it pleased God, who separates you from your mother's womb. All right, There's a lot of mamas who are like, I wish I could go into labor right now. And medicine tries to, to imitate that, and sometimes it works with drugs or whatever. But the point is, is that that's God's prerogative. He's the one who gets credit for separating you from your mother's womb. He's the instituting factor for that natural birth, right? So that's the picture there, who separated from him from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. When did God by his grace call Paul? Well, Paul was on a missionary journey to go arrest people in a foreign country. He was going all the way to Syria, to Damascus, to arrest people for daring to worship Jesus Christ. And on the road, the Lord came to him. And he called them. And it was very overt and powerful. And there was not a thing Paul could do except say, yes, Lord, what would you have me do? Right? There was a call. And that, that, that's the mere the, the, the image of that is the natural birth. When you're giving birth to a natural child, right? God's the instituting actor there. When he calls you, it is like a spiritual birth. Is the baby given consent in birth. Anybody, anybody put a consent form up there so you please sign off on this so we can go forward? No, the baby's passive in this. It's an outside force being acted upon it, right? So you've got this idea of, of light, God giving light where there was no light. God giving life and creating a new creature where there wasn't a creature before. And now you've got the idea of his calling you. It's like producing a child in birth, Right? And again, that call is from God. It's not from man. Go to 1 Corinthians 1 19, just to hammer that point. First Corinthians chapter 1. verse no, nine, not 19. Flip. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful, by whom ye were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you have any fellowship with Jesus Christ? Because God the Father called you. Okay? It's not you calling on God. He called you. God is the acting party. Now, go to John chapter 3. This is probably the most um, clear introduction to this concept of a, of a new birth, of, of, a, of a quickening, of of something that's going on within a child of God, and it's Nicodemus who's coming to speak to Jesus at night, right? He knows, he says, you know, Lord, Rabbi, I know that you're a teacher come from God, because no man could do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And and how does Jesus answer? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, which means truly, I'm going to tell you the truth here. I say unto you, and unto thee, except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. All right? John the Baptist says, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus started off, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven is is now. And there are some who are seeing the miracles that Jesus was doing, and they were believing and It was wonderful. and It was amazing. And there are some who are seeing the exact same thing, and they think he's working with the devil. They thought he was crazy. They thought this one needs to die. What's the two difference? What's the difference between the two? It says, except a man be born again. Born born again means born anew. It also be translated born from above. Nicodemus is confused. What do you mean I've got to be born again? I have to go back inside my mother and then come back out again? That's going to be hard to do. I'm an old man. She might not even be living anymore. What, What? Jesus said, verily, verily, again, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you have this, this dichotomy. The same thing we looked at Galatians of God who separated me from my mother's womb naturally. And he's called me and given me a spiritual birth, again, operated by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's moving upon the face of the waters back in Genesis, that picture. Here the Holy Spirit is moving and He's causing a new birth, a new creature, a new creation where light has shined upon them, where there was darkness before, where you're void and without form, and now there's something new. A new creature has born again, born from above, and the operative actor is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Marvel not that I say you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind's going to blow where it's going to blow. Right? And you hear the sound thereof. You can hear the wind. You can feel it against your face. But you cannot tell whence it cometh nor whether it goeth. All right, you're going out there and you're feeling the wind and you're hearing it, can you tell me where exactly it came from? Can you tell me exactly where it's going? No! Same thing with the Holy Spirit. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. But you can see the effect. All right? You can feel the effect of the wind. You can hear it. Right? in the new birth. There are effects that happen in the person but you can't see it happening. Right? It's, a, it's an invisible process. All right? But the changes are real and they're felt. Okay, So you've got this idea. Again, we're, we're kind of building all these different descriptors of it. You've got being created. You've got light being spoken and it's there where there's darkness. You've got uh, a new creature You've got a new birth, a birth by the Holy Spirit again something, not something that you can see with your natural eyes right This is something invisible but it's real and you can feel it. And again in all these scenarios, the individuals that are being acted upon that are creating the light that's existing, they're not giving permission. They're not saying God, okay, you can now do your thing. It's happening. All right? Go to John chapter 6 verse 44. Yeah, we're all the, the topic here is irresistible grace. What is Jesus doing in his children? The cross is what he did for them. He's atoned for them. They're eternally justified between God. But there's something that he's going to do in you, in your life. And it's going to be a change. And it's by his action. John 6, 44. No man can come to me. Aren't you glad it didn't stop there? No man can come to me. What's the default general rule that he stated here? No man can come to me. There's going to be an exception. It is a great exception. But this is the default. Totally depraved man, dead in trespasses and sins, estranged from God, you cannot come to God except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him. Well, you just need to come to God. Brother, you ain't got that ability. God's going to draw you first. All right? Now, this picture of drawing, it's not like hand drawing. Peter, when he's in the garden, and it's all about to go down, right? You You got soldiers there. You got pitchforks and lanterns. It's a bad scene. What's he do? He takes his here sword. What's he do with it? He draws it. Sword, may I please have permission to draw you out of this sheath? Was the sword active in that situation? Passive, right? A superior force acted upon it and here it is drawn. It's about to hack off somebody's ear, right? The sword was drawn, same word. Later, after the resurrection, they'll be out in the boats, they went fishing, they were supposed to be doing other things, but they went fishing and Jesus told them to draw in your nets, right? And so they're drawing in their nets. The nets giving them permission to do that? No, the superior force is acting upon them. Later, when Paul is at Philippi, things go badly. Um, he winds up healing a girl who had uh, a demon within her, and she was a fortune teller, and the owners of that girl were really upset because they lost money. And you know what they do to Paul? They drag him to the marketplace. And they don't go well from there. That word draw and drag are the same word in Greek. Did Paul voluntarily go to the marketplace? Was he giving consent? No, a superior force was acting upon him. And so when you've got God the Father drawing his people to him, he ain't asking permission. Right? They're passive in this. He is drawing them from that state where you're dead. We're going to talk about dead in a minute, but without form, darkness, void. And he is drawing you unto him. Because no man, that's a general rule, no man can come except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Father is going to draw them, all that people that he gave, the Father is going to draw all of them, and Jesus is going to raise them at the last day. That's a bodily resurrection, right? That's good news. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 27, my sheep, those people, the ones that the Father gave him, my sheep, hear my voice. How do they know that? How do they hear his voice? Because something's gone on within them, Holy Spirit acting, that has given them ears to now hear him. They didn't have it before, right? No more than the, the, the clay that Adam was formed of, if you could have talked it, couldn't hear But now that there's a new creature, that new creature has spiritual ears. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. He's foreknown them all the way from the beginning. And they follow me. Change in behavior. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither is any man, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father... Is greater than all who is going to stand before the father that's greater of all and try to tell him I'm sorry you can't do that no man he's greater the result is the ones that the father gave the son they're all going to come to the son right and they're going to hear his voice and they're going to believe he's going to give them eternal life and they're safe in the father's hand and in his hand they're one Alright? So you've got light where there was darkness. You've got a creature where there was no creature. You've got a birth. You've got being drawn by a superior force. And you've also got a resurrection, a quickening, another description. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That's in italics. That's making it easier to understand. That quicken comes down in verse uh, 5. So you could read it. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. What was your state before? Dead. Spiritually dead. In trespasses and sins, in wickedness, wherein in time past ye walked. You walked. According to the course of this world, according to the pattern of this world, the routes of this world, all the things about the here and the now and the carnal, that's what you were doing. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's that's the pattern that Satan gives, right? He's the leader of that that band. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, all the children of God, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, And were by nature, right? Again, this is describing total depravity. This is starting your starting point. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4. But God. What changes? But God. Who is the actor? But God. Who is rich in mercy? Is God rich in mercy? Yes. Why? For his great love wherewith he loved us. How long has he been loving you? A long time, right? Even when we were dead in sins. He didn't start loving you when you cleaned yourself up. He loved you way before that. He loved you even when we were dead in sins. But God hath quickened us to make alive, to revitalize together with Christ. That hath quickened us together with Christ is all a compound word. That's an expression. Resurrected, if you will, with christ there is an intimate connection between you and i and every other child of god who's been born again with the resurrection of jesus christ right we have been taken something that was dead and we have been made alive okay did the dead guy give consent (laughs) no right it's an operation of god we were dead he hath quickened us together with christ by grace are you saved unmerited favor that he has bestowed upon you by grace, his grace, and hath raised us up together. Raised us up out of that grave of that dead trespasses. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can commune spiritually with Christ Jesus right now. Before, when you were dead, you could not. There was no access. There was no connection. You couldn't hear him. You couldn't see him. You couldn't know him mind, spiritual mind, right? He's raised us together, made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus now, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. He's not done displaying how much grace he's put upon us. Like we're just in like the down payment interest-only stage, and he is going to give us the full principle, the corpus of his grace. It's going to be magnanimous to show it on display at the end of time where it's all the righteous that he has chosen and purchased, whoa, the inheritance that he has prepared for them. It's going to be amazing. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to ages to come. He's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. How did he do that? He does it through the work of Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Right? Do you have faith this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that He came into this world and He suffered and died and He was resurrected? If you can believe that, congratulations, you've been given the gift of faith. It's a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. Created you get that idea of something created, a creature created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So we've been created a new creature, we've been created with a new purpose unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there's a new creature, new life, something that was dead has been given a new purpose. Right, Patrick? A new purpose of good works to walk in them as God hath ordained. Quit kicking him. All right. So you've got this idea of a resurrection. Taking something that was dead and now made alive. Right? Like Lazarus. Right, Patrick? Like Lazarus. He was dead. Jesus went to him. He'd been dead four days. By now he's stinking. Right? Natural consequence of death. His body starts to decay and corrode. Jesus goes to him. And he calls him. Right? Just like God calls you when you were dead and trespasses He calls him. Lazarus come forth. And you know what Lazarus did? Lazarus came forth. That which was dead and decomposing is now alive and walking. Right? Did Lazarus give consent? No. Was it required or necessary? No. The creator God, the one who has the right to quicken and give life, gave life. And you know what? There was life. The same thing of saying, let there be light, where there was no light before. Now there's light. That's the power that he had. Jesus called and there was life. All right? Go to John chapter 5. In verse 25. John chapter 5 verse 25 says, Verily, verily, Jesus speaking, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall hear and live. Is this talking about the bodily resurrection at the end of time? This talking about Now. Elect children of God who have not yet been born again will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will have life. As the Father has the power to quicken and give life, so does the Son. He speaks and they live. The hour is coming and hour ends, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he hath given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Now, what's that talking about? That's not talking about the new birth. That's talking about at the last day there's going to be a bodily resurrection of everybody. And then there'll be a division. God separating his people, and God separating those that are still in their sins. One he's going to show the riches of his mercy and one's going to show the riches of his wrath. And everybody's going to have to say this is a holy God. It shall come forth they that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. And that doing good the righteousness they have is because of the righteousness that was imputed, imputed to them by Jesus Christ. And because they've been created a new creature, because they've been created unto good works, they are then going to live in that purpose and display those good works. It's not they earned it because of the good works. The good works that they do are an evidence of what God has already done in them, okay? Go to Daniel chapter 4. And again, in all this... God is operating as the sovereign, the one in charge. He is pursuing the purpose of his mind, which he determined before the world began, that he was going to have a people, he was going to give them to a son, his son was going to redeem them, even though they were gross and vile and unworthy, and those people he was going to put the Lord's righteousness upon, and then he's going to let them know about it. He's creating them a new creature, giving them spiritual life, so that they can know and appreciate and love and glorify him here in this life. And then be with him for all eternity. Right? He's got the right to do that. It's called the sovereignty of God. He is in charge. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Babylonian king. He's the one who's writing or speaking here in Daniel chapter 4. He was powerful by the world's standards. He had this massive empire and he'd been warned that if he didn't behave, something bad was going to happen. And he behaved himself for a whole year. And then eventually he's out up on the, the, the looking out over his city and he's just, wow, look at what I've done and what I've built for my glory and for the riches of my majesty. My, 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 my. And the angel says, Whoop, it's departed from you. What, what Daniel had told you was going to happen and that dream that you had happens now. And you know what happened to him? He lost his reason. Did he give consent? No. He lost his ability to think. He was driven out from among men, and for a period of time, he's out there eating grass. And the Lord sustained him, so he didn't die, but his fingernails are growing long, his hair is growing long. Right, this is not a seven-minute period. Right? This, is a, this is a period of time where he is out of his mind, and then when he comes back, this is what he says. And at the end of the days, this is just, Daniel uh, 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned unto me. What's the first thing he did? I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar has a short little kingdom, right? He has a little bit of knowledge, but he's praising the one who is able to take that arrogant Pride, pride-filled individual and humble him so far down that he's eaten grass with the oxen i praised and honored him his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth you take every single man and woman who's ever lived and you add them all up they are reputed as nothing all right in comparison to this Sovereign, powerful God. You take all the forces of men. If you're all pushing against the same way and trying to go against God, you have exactly zero work that you're accomplishing. You're not moving it a milli smidgen. They're all reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? This is a heathen king who has been introduced to the power of God, right? When God says he's going to do something, it will be done. And there is no one and nothing who can stop him or even challenge him to stay his hand, right? uh, If you're breaking into somebody's house and the police show up, what are they going to do with your hands? They're going to put you in handcuffs, right? They're going to stay your hands so you can limit your action. You can't go any further if you're in handcuffs, right? Who's going to handcuff God? nobody and yet there's a lot of doctrine out there that thinks that god would like to do something if i just give him permission he'll be able to no that which he desires to do and in the salvation of his people he is going to perform it 100 of the time no one can stay his hand and no one can say what doest thou right if that cop walked in and you're still robbing the place right he says what you doing what's the guy doing he's robbing the place is he going to keep going no one authority's there who has the right to you know, stop him. He's going to stop on his own. He may try and flee, but he's not going to continue about his own business. right? No one has the right to interject and stop God from what he's doing. Now, we'll complain. We do that a lot. But that doesn't mean we have the authority to stop him or question him or hinder him. Okay. So all these different concepts are building up to this idea of that there is something going on within each child of God that's new. That's different. That's done in them and for them. But they're not the active party. They're not the one who's doing it. They're receiving it. They're created a new creature. That which was dark in their heart and in their mind is now have light. That where there was no life, there's now life. Where you had a purpose of only wickedness and evil, you've got a new purpose. Good works to work, to walk in them. Where you had no ability to see or hear, you now can see. And hear spiritual things. Right? The carnal mind can't understand and cannot grapple with spiritual things. It's just they're, they're foreign. They're foolishness. But when you're born again, you have that ability. There's new light and understanding given. New perception. All right? <laughs> and not only that, you have a new awareness of self. Right. We were looking at Matthew chapter uh, 5 in our Bible study about those that are meek and those that are mourning. Those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. What do those people have to be able to see? They have to see that they're sinners. When you're dead in trespassing sins, guess what you, you don't see? It. You see, I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. I'm really okay. I'm a good boy, right? But when you've been born again, you can see your sins for your first time. and You can see that before a holy God, you got nothing to claim. That you are a beggar. You can't say, Lord, I've done good this week. Give me something. Lord, I've got nothing. You're holy and I am not. Lord, I am a beggar before you. I am poor. And meek and humble. Because I see myself for what I am. And I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what I desire. Right? You didn't desire that before. Okay? So you've got a new creature, new life, new purpose, new sight, new perception. Right? And Psalm uh, 110 verse 3 says even your desires are going to change. You've got a new new will. Things that you didn't want before, now you do want Psalm 110, verse 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. So when the God of the universe moves in your life by the Holy Spirit to create you a new creature, you're not fighting them. One, you were dead to begin with. You had no ability to fight. But two, now that you're alive, he's given you a new Desire. Why do I want to serve the Lord? Why do I want to love the Lord? Why do I want to come to church? Because He's given me that desire. That's part of the package. Something new that you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. To know more about your Lord, to be more about His presence, and to be more about His business, that's something that He gives you. It's part of the package. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I've, I've read this a bunch. And that expression, both to will and to do, I understand the to do. God's working in me so that I do his good pleasure. I get that. But what's the to will mean? That's a strange way of speaking for from our, our day and age. God's working in you both, so that you will do His good will, but you also, so the two will is to desire that you have a desire to do His good pleasure. You who were an enemy, who wanted the exact opposite before, and nothing to do with Him, not only has He changed you, so that you want to, uh, that you will able to walk in good works. You want, you want to. He's changed your will and the things that you do. Will you do it perfectly? No, because you still have an old sin nature that you're going to have to battle against. And you're going to battle it until the day you die. And that's part of that hunger and thirsting for righteousness is because you want to be free of that. But there's the inner man that's within you. That's another way of describing what's going on. You have the outer man, your carnal man, your flesh. You've got the inner spiritual man, the man of the mind. It's another way of describing it. Who desires to serve God. Where did that come from? You didn't make him. God did. It's a gift from God. All right? So God gives you a desire. And you know what? All of this had been promised a long time before in the Old Testament. But it hadn't been made clear what was going on yet. Go back to Jeremiah. Okay? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Start in Jeremiah twenty four and verse seven Jeremiah chapter twenty four, verse seven God is speaking, and I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. There's one application we I just talking about natural Israel. This is, this is an application for spiritual Israel, like all the family of God. How will you know God? Because He draws you unto Him. Because He gives you a heart and enlightens your mind so that you can know Him and know that He's the Lord and that you are His people. It's not that they may be my people. They shall be my people. They are my people. And I will be their God and they will return to me with their whole heart. You know that returning? That's talking about your actions flowing. What happens with your heart? Right? That's That's the conversion. That's the repentance. That's the going through and living out what's going on within the heart. This is Jeremiah. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, right? To explain what all is going to happen, Alright, Go later in Jeremiah, chapter thirty-one. Jeremiah three thirty-one. The Lord hath appeared of old, saying, "Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. How long has He loved you? An everlasting love, right? A love that goes before the dawn of time. I've loved thee." Therefore, because I love thee, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Another expression I would say with cords of love. Right? He's drawn you to Him. A powerful outside force, bigger than you, motivated by love, is drawing you to Him. That's a wonderful picture. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. Go later in that same chapter... Verse 31, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's the age that we're living in. Time of the New Testament, the new covenant. Not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Right? He's talking about the law. He's talking about all natural Israel. He said that covenant, they broke that covenant. It's a different covenant. It's a better covenant, Right? The law is to teach that you are unrighteous, right? This covenant is a covenant of grace. It says, even though you were unrighteous, I've still paid for that, and my grace is upon you, and you are mine. And by Jesus's work of righteousness, which cannot be broken, you will be with him. All right? It's not according to that covenant which they break, although I was a husband under them. that says the Lord says i didn't I didn't break the covenant. I did my part, right? They broke it. And this shall be the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord! For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How's that for a summary of Jesus Christ and His work and what it will accomplish? He is not going to remember your sin and iniquity anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ is going to pay for it. And yet He's not going to leave you in that state of being dead. He's going to make you alive. And instead of writing uh, His law onto tablets of stone, he's going to write it into your very heart. Right? You don't need me as a preacher to teach you right from wrong as a child of God. Right? God does that himself. Right? He writes his law into your own heart. That's why uh, later uh, Paul could be talking about the, the Gentiles who were doing the things naturally even though they were outside of the law. They didn't have the instructions that were given under the law and yet they're still doing the things that glorify God. How are they doing that? Because he wrote his law in their heart, right? And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Go again a little bit later to Ezekiel chapter 11. All right? Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. Not that carnal man, not the old flesh, the one who desires things that are wrong. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Alright? Here you go. Picture of a heart transplant. That old dead hard heart says I take that out. I give them a new spirit. I give them a new heart of flesh. A feeling of... Knowing the Lord, right? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Who's the actor in all these scenarios? Heart transplant. God, right? New heart, removing the old, giving them a new spirit, and all of them. They'll be my people, and I'll be their God. And they'll walk in the way that I desire for them to walk, that of obedience, right? Go back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's another description that comes with this. Says, you have obtained eternal life. Something has been created within you, this new creature, this new spirit, this new heart, this spiritual inner man that will never die. If He's there, then you can believe the Word of God. You couldn't before. You can hear the voice of the Son of God, right? And I'm not talking about auditory, but I'm saying that knowing that when you read His Word, you know it's talking about you and to you. Whereas before, didn't make any difference to you. He that heareth my Word and believeth on Him that sent me, God the Father, Path, everlasting life. You've already got it within you. This thing that he's created doesn't die. It goes, when, when your body dies, when your corrupt body dies, it goes to be with the Lord. And eventually he's going to repackage it in a, re, uh, a resurrected and glorified form of your body. Right? But it doesn't die. You have eternal life. And shall not come into condemnation. No condemnation. Who can condemn you for being an unjust, vile sinner now? Nobody. God's the one that made you pure. The one that paid for your sin. No one can set anything against your charge now that Christ has not already paid for. Go forward to John chapter 6 and verse 37. I want you to hear Jesus' success rate. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me. All right. That's that whole family of God. The ones that he foreknew, that he put his love upon, that he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he gave to his Son who is going to come and suffer and bleed and die, and he did and redeemed them and atone for them. What's going to happen? All... That the Father giveth me, that entire multitude that has n- you, more than man can count, out of every kindred, nation, and tribe, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. How do they come to me? The Father draws them. Anybody get out of the Father's hand? No. So when the Father draws them, how is the man he's going to come? All of them. All of them will come to me. Right? And him that cometh to me, so that's all of them, I will in no wise cast out. Man, that's comforting. And that's one of the main benefits of the Lord sending His Holy Spirit into His children, giving them that new life, giving them a light, an illumination or light where there has only been darkness, as so you can see the glory of what He's done and you can rest in the truth that the God who's bought you and paid for you and bled for you has you and will not cast you out. You will be with Him in glory, and not because you did anything so great, but because He is so great, and He is so righteous, irresistible grace. This is one of the things that separates us from other groups. Some groups think that a man has the ability to tell God no, and they look at this uh, call kind of like a a general invitation, but if you will just, you know, RSVP, then you'll have it. That's not how Scripture describes it. A birth, a miracle of creation, light where there was no light, a calling and a drawing to oneself by great power. That's how it describes it. Not a weak, mere opportunity. And it's only applied to the ones that the father gave the son. And the ones aside the son died for are only the ones that the father gave the son. And he gave them all way back. And it's not because they were worthy, but it's because the father delighted to show his mercy upon him. And that's offensive to our carnal natures. We want to be like, well God chose me because I'm special. God chose you because God's special. That he would choose any Sin cursed wretched creature to show his mercy upon. Him. But he did. And this is real. And this is why this stuff changes our life. Because there's something different that we're aware of now that we didn't know before. When we were just dead and cold. This didn't make any sense to us. Didn't have any bearing. It was you know something people talked about, but it doesn't apply to me. This is God applying it so that you know. It applies to you. This is God's irresistible grace. You had not the ability to fight it. And nor once he made you alive do you have the desire. So he's given you as a new creature a new will and a new desire to do the things that please him. Is this good news? Yes, absolutely. So let's rejoice in that today.